opinions expressed on this podcast are solely those of hosts and guests. The view and opinions do not necessarily represent those of Memorial Healthcare System, Joe DiMaggio's Children's Hospital. Welcome, everyone, and thank you for joining us on Healthy Parenting, pitched by Joe DiMaggio's Children's Hospital. My name is Jason Grant Enriquez, and sitting sitting in for our co-host, Dr. Latanya Benjamin, is our co-host, Bahati Banks. Hi, Jason. Hi, How are you Bahati doing? Bahati quality time, Bahati. <laughs> no, I love spending time with you, Jason. Um, in honor of March being Music Therapy Awareness Month, we invited our music therapists, Stephanie Miller and Trenton Barrick, to talk to us today about their roles and how music therapy helps patients, both adults as well as pediatrics. All right. Are we having a concert later? We may be. Okay, so stay, stay tuned. tuned. Ooh. <laughs> Before we get to that interview, we'll spend a few minutes during our coffee chat talking about two interesting news topics, Facebook's Messenger Kids app and uh, sexual education in the 21st century. Now, Facebook already has a messenger, so they're having a separate app for kids? Specifically for kids under the age of 13. And you know we had that show where we talked about Ooh, social media no, is no. not allowed no, for people no, under no, 13. No. So we'll get into that. Okay. And so sex ed? We're questioning sex ed? And, Se- no, and not questioning it, but it's um, In the 21st it's century? It's changed. It's changed in the 21st century. So just a quick chat about how the Me Too movement has forced us to really? be a little bit more cognizant of how we talk to our kids about sexual education Very and how they treat So Facebook other. Messenger for Kids, Yep. Sex Ed in the 21st Century, at a potential concert. Yep. Stay tuned. Before we move on, though, here's a word from our sponsor. The Joe DiMaggio Children's Hospital team has every medical specialty a parent could want and the expertise every child needs. So when it matters most, trust the experts in pediatrics at Joe DiMaggio Children's Hospital. Hi, I'm George, teacher here at the hospital, and you are listening to Healthy Parenting Podcast, pitched by Joe DiMaggio Children's Hospital. Welcome back. Before we get to today's guest, let's share what's making news in the parenting world. Bahati. Yes. So up first, Facebook's Messenger Kids app. Okay. Break this down for me. So what are the rules? What are the rules? Well, first, uh, the Facebook Messenger Kids app launched last year, December, to preteens ages 6 through 12. I didn't know that either. So apparently, parents can download this Facebook Messenger Kids app on their child's tablet or smartphone, Hmm. which we just (laughs) speaking about another show, (laughs) that kids that young actually have tablets and smartphones. Parents, once it's downloaded on their device, they verify that the app they verify the app using their Facebook account, so the mm. parents' Facebook account. And then they allow their contacts, their, the parents allow their contacts to follow and chat with their kids. The parents allow the parents' contacts right. to follow their kids' right. chat. So it's supposed to be designed in a way that the parents truly have control over what their kids sees, who they talk to. Okay. Yeah. But then it means if they want to talk to their friends, then the parents have to put their friends in their own That's where it gets complicated. Um, (laughs) And and like I mentioned before, we were uh, in another show we did, Mm -hmm. we talked about the policy around social media apps. And if you're under the age of 13, you cannot have a social media app without the permission of your parents. But technically, 
really not supposed to have a social media app exactly. under the age Correct. of 13. So Facebook claims that they're filling a need with this Messenger Kids app for preteens to connect hmm. with long-distance family online. Okay. okay. That, there's, there's this justification yeah, there. Sure. I mean, it's thinly veiled, it's but, thinly veiled. but <laughs> I'll take it. <laughs> so opponents of um, this app <laughs> say that Facebook is clearly grooming kids between the ages of 6 and 12 to eventually create their own Facebook account. Oh, absolutely. 13, absolutely. Uh, which is the legal age that you can have a social media account. Uh, some people are saying that it, they're afraid because it normalizes social media mm -hmm. and creates peer pressure for kids to sign up for an account. Mm -hmm. Now, it's interesting because yes. I actually work somewhere and my supervisor was looking to hire someone and he <laughs> raised a red flag because he could not find a LinkedIn or Facebook account for this person. That's a red flag? I know, that's the same thing I, I said. I thought you were gonna say red flag as if they saw something no, they didn't like. No, no, so oh, no. So social media almost has become, I don't wanna say mandatory, mm -hmm. but it's, it, it is becoming normalized, even Very though true. it shouldn't be. It's an option. It's something that you choose to do and you be, choose right? to have. But now it's become the norm. So if you're not following the norm, then the question is, what's wrong with you? Exactly. What do you have to hide? Exactly. And you know what? It does seem kind of suspect. It's true. When, it, when somebody says, I have no social media presence, the first question is, but why? Right. So I can, exactly. I can, I can and see And why it. not? You know, that's yeah. the comeback. It's like, why why can't I not have a social media presence? Why can't I choose to not be a part of this? Especially when you're talking about a six Egg. year old exactly. child. Um, so it's an interesting it's an interesting debate. That is a brilliant business plan by Facebook. <laughs> I don't know if you realize, but they said they were having problems with retaining uh, younger audience, younger users, because Facebook got so popular with us older That's folks. That's right. And so now, yes, I can see what they're doing. But at the same time, as I wouldn't say controversial, but as, mm -hmm. as questionable as it is, there was a messenger app a while ago that mm -hmm. just got, actually just got discontinued, AOL AIM. And I remember having um, AIM. Mm -hmm. It was instant messenger. All it was instant messenger. Right. But it also did groom you for wanting to get America online at the sure, time. So, sure. And yes, it's the same concept. We all had screen names. And you can meet whoever you want. There were chat rooms. Yes. It was all anonymous. Chat most rooms. times, yes, you know. Yes. Um, that's the, that was the birth of the of the cyber relationships. <laughs> right. You know. So yes. now that I think about it, all they're they're fulfilling a need that was lost because AIM actually recently recently huh. uh, canceled its services. I think last year with it through AOL. Okay. So Facebook is just filling in a little spot mm -hmm. that existed. So. It's it's perfect business plan. It is a perfect business plan, and uh, we can clearly see why people would be suspect of this. Absolutely, because they truly are targeting kids between the ages of six and twelve. I and guess just the the what is it the same thing we've always been saying: monitor your children. That's right. Um, peek over their shoulders, see who they're right. talking to, and have that dialogue. Yes, <laughs> indeed, ongoing open lines of communication. So the next topic I wanted to talk about is sexual education in the 21st century. So we all, um, unfortunately, uh, are, are more than aware of the Me Too movement started mm -hmm. by all the sexual harassment and sexual predator and allegations and that, like that Hollywood, politics, everywhere, it's, it's everywhere, everywhere, now. everywhere, and it's always been that way. Um, so with the advent of the Me Too movement, educators as well as parents are rethinking how sexual education is taught in schools. 
Research suggests that a lack of education can result in increased sexual risk-taking behaviors, um, which puts youth at risk for a host of problems Absolutely. like early pregnancy, sexually transmitted infections and diseases, as well as sexual victimization. Mm -hmm. A 2015 study found that fewer than 50% of U.S. high schools and 20% of middle schools teach essential sexual education topics which I actually wanted to question, uh, since you have two tween teen boys, mm -hmm. do they have sexual education or life, they, health, wellness I, classes? They, they do, they okay. do. I don't know if, it's, if it was called sex ed. I do remember signing permission slips to allow them to uh, take part in such a class. Has it happened? Um, I'm not sure. They never told me about it and I never inquired. I should ask them. Should. But I did. But I did sign saying, yes, uh, they can participate in sex ed. And my oldest, who's sheepish and, you know, he's like, I don't really want to do it. I said, why not? I said, it's educational. It's different. <laughs> he didn't want to do it. He no, didn't he, want to take the class. He, no, he didn't take the class. Because when he knew what it was about, he's kind of like, it's going to be so awkward. You're, uh, you're there with your classmates yes. and you're looking at, at stuff and other stuff. And I said, well, what stuff are you talking about? <laughs> so. Well, that's another, um, not so much a controversy, but something that has mm -hmm. been brought up. Um, the separation of sexes or genders when talking about sexual education to make it a little bit more comfortable for boys to talk mm -hmm. with male teachers and for girls to talk with female teachers. I like the idea, but I don't want it to be separate um, completely. Do a group thing, then do, do, do individual sexes of anything. Because when you separate it, not only are you causing maybe like a forbidden fruit kind of idea, Yes, you're... It, it's good to hear the other side. It's yes. good to experience it. It's good to, to have that dialogue yes. with your peers there. So your peers are kind of nervous looking at each other. I think if you separated, I don't think that's a good idea to only do that. But right. yes, more group and then, you know, by sex. Why not? Right. That's there's, what I think. Right. There's a safe place that you can find, I think, for both group and gender-based sexual right. education. So if the males have any questions and they don't want to... You know, discuss it right, in, front. in front of their yeah, then, potential then, then girlfriend. You, then you exactly, you know, <laughs> then you potentially have uh, a second drunk for questions, and right. you feel more comfortable in a group right. setting with all your male peers and all the machismo. And it's something for women mm -hmm. uh, and for little girls, and it's it's a good idea, mm -hmm. but not completely right. group and separate. That's what I would say. What do you think? I I agree. Um, I think as always, it's more uh, open. The more open we can talk about these topics with our kids, exactly. um, without shame and embarrassment, the more comfortable they'll feel coming to uh, parents right. to talk about this. We need this. to promote that dialogue. That dialogue is very important. Mm -hmm. Anything that's taboo becomes a secret, and whatever becomes secret usually becomes negative. You don't want that. Right. Good conversation, Jason. Well, thank you, Bahati. Before we get to today's guests, here's a word from our sponsor. Patient and family-centered care. At Joe DiMaggio Children's Hospital, it's the difference you notice. It's what you feel. It's how we care. And it's why we've been recognized as the world's first designated person-centered children's hospital by Plaintree. When it matters most, trust Joe DiMaggio Children's Hospital. Learn more at jdch.com care. Welcome back, and thank you once again for joining us on the Healthy Parenting Podcast. I'd like to introduce today's guests, Stephanie Miller and Trenton Barrick. Welcome, welcome. Thanks, everybody. Hi, thank hey. you. Thank you so much for joining us today. March is, well, March 1st technically is, please, Stephanie? It's <laughs> World Music Therapy Day. World Music Ooh. Therapy Day. <laughs> yeah. So we wanted to invite Stephanie and Trenton on today's show um, to give us some background on what is a musical therapist and their and how their role 
works at um, in the healthcare system facility. So, Stephanie and Trenton, tell us about your journey. How did both of you become music therapists? So, I mean, I was involved in music from a very early age. I started taking piano when I was five years old and then grew up in choirs throughout school. I studied music in college. I studied vocal and piano performance. And then when I finished college, um, realized there aren't that many jobs for um, just general music majors. And spent some time working and really realized that um, I have a passion for helping people, but also a passion for music and started looking and just discovered this field of music therapy, which combines both of those beautifully. That's amazing. That's awesome. That's the dream, actually. I know, right? Discovering your passion, what you're passionate for, um, but also being able to help people at Mm -hmm. the same time. Trenton, what's your journey story? Well, I grew up on a small farm in Kentucky. (laughs) Okay, I hear Uh, it. It it, it comes out when I get nervous. (laughs) Don't Um, be nervous. So what happened, my mom ended up becoming a nurse, and my my dad played piano, and both of them would sing, and they would take me and my sister to all these assisted living facilities, skilled nursing facilities. And so as I grew up, very similar to Stephanie, I realized that music therapy could kind of combine medical with music uh, in a way that would give me a lasting career. And my band teacher, because I'm, I'm a saxophone player by nature, Ooh. and uh, my I know. there you go, uh-huh. there you go, yeah, yes, 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 it is. Oh, so get, you're, get a jazz, down, get down. you're a jazz musician too? Jazz and classical. Oh. Yeah, so we're trained in both. Smooth awesome. jazz, okay. Okay, <laughs> we're going to talk later. A little, a little George Michael for you, you know. Uh-oh. Uh, maybe, wow. Maybe. But uh, so what ended up happening is, uh, you know, my, my band teacher at the time, his name is Dr. Crowder, he told me, you know, you will always have a full-time job if you choose music therapy. And it was a little prophetic of the time, but literally, to his word, I've, I've never experienced anything else but a full-time job in music wow. therapy. Wow. Yeah, That's amazing. It's, it's, my road has been very, very clear uh, with the path that I feel like I've, I've been on and it's been such an honor. Wow, Beautiful. That, that is absolutely the dream. Both of you live in the dream. That is it. Passion, career, put it together. Yes. You don't work a day in your life. It's cliche, but it, I like it. <laughs> <laughs> so we're talking about music therapy, but what exactly is music therapy? I haven't heard of it before and you know, how does it help the patients and what exactly does it entail? Sure, so we get that question all the time. So we all know what therapy is, right? We all know what music is. So right. We combine those. So, so by definition, music therapy is the clinical and evidence-based use of music as a therapeutic tool to meet goals such as physical goals, social, oh. emotional, spiritual, cognitive, psychological, behavioral. So you hear all that and you're like, wow, we can touch all of those domains. That's exactly what my mind was saying. Wow. <laughs> that was deep. Trent, is there anyone to add to that? Yeah. Uh, m- music therapy is really just a reflexive process. It's not just this one and done experience like you might have at a concert where you go and you feel entertained and you feel alive just for a brief second even though there's you know therapeutic benefits of even one music therapy session it, it really goes back to its process oriented and so in that we really help optimize um, we help the client optimize uh, their own health mm. if that's their goal if health is the goal right um, but really we see it as just as as an impetus for change so whatever we're working with um, or developing the relationship with the client for that's where we're going and go. Um, wow. Yeah. That's very, very interesting. Very interesting. So, Stephanie, you with uh, Jordan Maggi Children's Hospital and Trenton with uh, Memorial Hospital System. What specifically do you do um, with your music therapy? If you can give us maybe a little deeper. 
Sure. So um, at Joe D, I get referrals from uh, nurses, doctors, social workers um, for very specific needs. So I might get a consult that's saying a patient is in pain. And so how can we help manage pain without the use of medication? Really? Um, research shows us that live music in particular can help reduce um, the pain scales and um, it can be very effective in helping patients cope with pain, both in the physical manifestation, but also um, the cognitive. So what the, our, our perception of pain. Really? That's mm -hmm. fascinating. And so, you know, another could be that, you know, to just today I got a referral for a patient that is very agitated. And so going and working with that patient to provide relaxation and comfort for agitation. Or like music. And mm -hmm. Or it could be, you know, we have a patient with a TBI and we're working on cognitive functioning. So coming in to work with that patient to restore functioning, to help with speech and language, to help with motor function. Really? Music can help um, with speech and language and motor function? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Wow. And so it could be really a variety of goals like you know that's why you know when we say all those domains it seems like a lot but it could be the emotional it could be mm -hmm. the social it could be that this patient is in our hospital waiting for a heart and that's a really hard thing they're there there for months and um, emotionally that's a very challenging process and yes. so working with that patient as a tool for expression to help them express themselves to help them um, even just pass the time over those months you mm -hmm. know um, but to really work with them to get to the core of whatever the clinical need is in that situation. That's dynamic mm -hmm. and broad. Dynamic. Yeah, you like that. <laughs> Trenton. So, I call that. <laughs> so you mentioned um, patients with a tra uh, traumatic brain injury, mm -hmm. stroke, or someone just waiting uh, for a treatment. Could you talk about the kinds of patients you work with? Uh, so specifically in rehab, we'll see a variety of populations and patients. Uh, one of those things specifically is, um, like you said, the acquired brain injury um, or spinal cord uh, injury. Uh, so if I can share a story from please, the first please, day on the please job. Please do. So yes. the first day on the job was probably the most traumatic for me because I was so nervous coming in and, and the, the burden of proof was really on my shoulders at the time because none of the nurses, none of the doctors or the therapists had really heard about what music therapy can do. Mm -hmm. And so uh, I kind of had to prove what I was sharing with the research, these, these 60, 70 years of research, mm -hmm. you know, like yes, you bring this to the table, but can it work? And so um, I had uh, one therapist, her name was Jeanette, and she was super skeptical. Uh, she was like, you know what, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna see if what you have to say can live up to it. So she had a patient that was actually a former uh, Memorial employee. And uh, she, uh, when I met this uh, young lady, she was very low functioning from her accident. Uh, she was very locked in. She had uh, extreme tone and spasticity all through her legs. She was very rigid. Mm -hmm. And doing everything that she can, Jeanette was a PT. And uh, she only got about six meters of walking wow. with this specific patient. Mm -hmm. And then when, when I came in, I provided a, a consistent rhythm that kind of helps normalize a person's gait pattern. So I'm kind of like almost, um, I'm changing the brain up a little bit mm -hmm. using music wow. and I'm influencing the brain. Uh, and so learning her cultural background, which was, uh, she was from Cuba. Okay. And so we use a song structure that was that she was very familiar and predictable oh. to her. It was mm -hmm. Guantanamera. Yes. We went from six meters the previous day to 76 meters, which mm -hmm. is a single music wow. therapy session of walking. And, and that wow. that was an early win That's for amazing. music therapy. And as soon as that happened, it's like the world just that was exploded. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you walk in, the spotlight's on you, you're sweating a little bit, you get a victory, you do this, freeze frame. That's it. That's and then it. that's it. Yeah. And we were so excited, but then the pressure was on. Could that happen again? Right. Could yeah, that happen again? But I mean, I mean, Stephanie can tell you, there has been so many moments 
moments that maybe no one's seen, but that's happened in the music that has been the catalyst for change that we went to school hearing about, but now we get to experience it. And what an honor that we get to be part of that process. You oh, know? That was a beautiful yeah. story. Rehab to a beat. I like that. <laughs> yeah. Right. Stephanie. Yeah. So, I mean, just like Trent's telling that story, um, you know, so many beautiful moments happen. It could be as simple as um, this patient um, is experiencing extreme pain, and I spend 20 minutes with that patient, reduce the heart rate, put the patient to sleep, and that nurse tells me, you know what, I didn't have to give them pain medication because you were in the room. Amazing. And that's a big win because, you know, with our children, we want to limit the amount of medication that they're of getting. Of course, of course. And, um, you know, music therapy is one way that we can can do that um, or just you know spending time and building relationships with family so one of the beauties about music and music therapy is that we can instantly develop rapport and relationship almost because music is something that's so familiar to us mm -hmm. and in the medical environment in particular there's a lot going on it's really scary a lot of unknowns that are happening and when I come in with music initially that's very not normal for our patients and our families and something that they can relate to and something that allows me to get my foot in the door. And then once I'm in the door, just I see that patients and families open up. I see them um, spill their heart out to me in some cases. I see emotions displayed in sessions and the power that music and the therapeutic relationship that we have to um, support them throughout the hospitalization or through difficult moments, you know, and that could be... Um, getting a procedure that right. could be waiting for a heart, going through, um, you know, chemo, any of those moments. I think I'm taking music for granted now, now that I'm thinking about it. Wow, wow. Now, uh, you guys did br briefly touch on this, but what kind of patients specifically do you work with? Um, yeah, all, all kinds. All so kinds. in the hospital, I work with everyone from birth in our NICU um, really? all the way to um, our teens that are 19 years old. And I work with cardiac patients, our oncology patients, our sickle cell patients. There's so many questions. Um, just general medical. You know, they could be in for tonsillitis or they could mm -hmm. be in for the flu. Um, we also have the pediatric rehab department. And so I work with patients that have been in car accidents and wow. patients with TBIs. And so it really spans. And so um, we can't say we work with this one particular it patient. It sounds very, and yeah. As music therapists, we have to be very versatile and be, right. be able to really be in the moment and assess the patient's needs and quickly come up with what is going to be best to help this patient because we do see such a variety of patients. So you, it requires, if not innate or natural interpersonal skills, that then you can attribute and adapt to your, your craft. Mm. That's very interesting. Mm. Very interesting. Fred yeah, so um, I work with uh, patients that have suffered a stroke. Um, they might come in displaying uh, facelike symptoms. We'll have uh, acquired brain injury, spinal cord, oncology, um, limb loss as well. And of course, all those do have support groups. And so uh, do you want to plug that really quick that we do have outpatient programs and do we have uh, we do have uh, free support groups offered to the community? Mm -hmm. if, uh, if anybody out there is looking for those free resources or even just uh, needing a, a space to feel safe and and to get more resources and more knowledge, more information, because knowledge is power. That's right. We definitely want to kind of bring that to the forefront and highlight those groups. So if you know anybody in need, please spread the word that that's what we have. Where would they on. be able to find this information? So you can find it on uh, Memorial's website. Um, I'm usually part of that uh, group, depending on the time of day. Mm -hmm. um, but those, uh, all that information will be available on the websites, or uh, they can contact the neuropsych department. Uh, specifically a more memorial region south. Excellent, excellent. So I had a question. So it, so do you work with 
individuals on a one-on-one -on -one basis or do you do group sessions? So I do both. I do one-on-one uh, -on -one sessions, I do groups, and I also do a lot of co-treating with uh, PTs, OTs, speech therapists, and neuropsych. And, um, when you say co-treating, mm -hmm. What do you mean exactly by co-treating? Sure. So they might have, uh, in the rehab world, they're scheduled uh, three hours a day. So Medicare guidelines require patients to have three hours of specific therapies that okay. are um, PTOT speech. Okay. Those are kind of like uh, the reimbursable therapies, if you will. Um, and I'll come alongside them depending on, you know, three hours is a lot of work. Yes. When you have that accident or that injury that, you know, nobody asked for that to happen. Of course. And then your body's kind of thrown off. Your brain is trying to figure out, you know, what's going on. And then you're thrown into this rigorous system. It's just a lot of work and it tends to be overwhelming. And so they'll um, call me up and say, hey, Trenton, I, I have this patient and we're, we're going to work on their, their functional goals, whatever that looks like. Even if that's something as simple as something you and I take for granted, mm. sitting, sitting balance, mm. reaching. Um, if that's if that's walking, if that's talking, if that's uh, cognition or memory or, or keeping attention, I'll use specifically the elements of music like rhythm and melody and tempo to uh, apply that to the session and even instrumental play. A lot of times I'm using instrumental play mm -hmm. to go after those specific goals. And not only does it make it so much fun for the patients, but they don't know this, but I'm secretly like thinking, man, you are working yeah, out so yeah, you much. Go. Your whole brain is literally engaged mm -hmm. in music right now, and you don't even know it. You don't even recognize it as work. But but we're making new neural pathways. Mm -hmm. We're making uh, new possibilities mm -hmm. happen. We're raising the ceiling for your potential through music. And and all you know is that you're you're singing to don't stop believe. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. <laughs> Listen to the passion for Trenton. Yes. Yeah, I've been doing yeah, this you're so into this. Well, both of us have had, both of us come from the hospice background. Mm -hmm. And so for us to see, for us to see, uh, just the results of what music can do on the the opposite side of where we were working from, you know, with the terminally ill and we were working with the symptom management. Now to see people literally getting a second chance at life and fighting for, for their lives and their quality of life and we get to use music, mm -hmm. that's, oh man, yeah. that's, that's, I know that's amazing. that just fuels the fire, you know? So, Trent, Trenton, you shared a personal story. Stephanie, do you have a personal story that you'd like to share about kind of like the moment that you're like, wow, what I'm doing really makes a difference. Like, I, this is this is why I'm doing what I'm doing. I have so many stories that I could tell, <laughs> so I, it's, I can only imagine. It, it's hard, to but, pick one. but today I'll just, I'll tell you a story, and it wasn't a patient I worked with today, but um, I was called to our outpatient um, center to work with a patient, and she has a medical condition that causes um, her bones to be very brittle, mm. and that's very limiting for her life, and so this patient really can't do a whole lot, um, and I met the patient and spent, you know, a good hour with her, and I taught her how to play the ukulele, and we played music and we sang together um, and we had a great time and you know I left that session and sometimes we leave a session and we don't know exactly you know if the patient benefited or whatnot but then I got a call from one of our nurses today saying the patient is really having a tough time coping um, and experiencing some issues and the mom is looking for resources. Mm -hmm. You know, could you give the mom a call? And I talked to the mom today and the mom told me about what the patient is going through and she said that day when you came into the room, that was the first time I had seen my daughter be normal. 
and it was you know beautiful and you know to see that this patient can engage in something that is meaningful for her um, a successful experience because everything else she's been told no to she's been told no you can't do this no you can't do that but in this experience she's been told yes you can and and provided that positive feedback and encouragement because as music therapists we don't particularly um, care if the patient um, can sing the best or Mm -hmm. play the best it's like Trent said it's about the process and as long as our patients are having fun and enjoying what they're doing that's what's important that's 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 a beautiful story, oh. Stephanie. Thank you so much Thank for you. sharing. Thank you so really, much. I really, really appreciate it. What um, uh, kind of instruments do you guys use besides? You brought a ton yes, for us. Yes, I see. To, to um, our, uh, experience. Our media desk is the most colorful it's <laughs> been um, ever since <laughs> we started this podcast. So as music therapists, we are all required to be proficient on guitar, voice, piano, and percussion. And some of that percussion might be these instruments you see before you. We have some egg shakers and some rain sticks and some bells and tambourines. Um, I have some cowbell in my bag. If you oh. Oh, yes, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Geo, you can go in the cowbell. Yeah, yeah, there you go, there you go. We always need more cowbell. I love yeah. it. One of the neat things is like if you look, you know, you said our, your desk has never been so colorful. Well, for me in the children's hospital, it's important to have instruments that are colorful because yes. one, that's going to draw the attention of kids. But two, then in an environment where these kids have very little choice and control for what's happening to them, I can say, you know, what's your favorite color? Yes. What color do you want to play? What instrument do you want to play? Do you want to play the tambourine or the shaker? Giving and there are all these yeah. choices and that gives yeah. them a chance to feel that like is, they have control. Empowering. Yeah. Yes, it's mm-hmm. empowering. Absolutely. Awesome, awesome, mm-hmm. awesome. And you'll notice that there's a lot of uh, grip, grippable instruments. Mm -hmm. And for some of our patients that uh, might have suffered a stroke, for instance, they have that that lack of ability to grip. Their hands just aren't as strong. Mm -hmm. And so we can actually partner with OTs and build those grippable parts up to where the patient can grasp on and begin to be part of the music again. Yeah, so we we definitely raise the um, ceiling for possibility. Right. So just literally holding these instruments makes a difference. It's part of the music therapy. That's That's amazing. Mm -hmm. So we did mention we're going to have a little concert. Well, before we do that, back to the resources (laughs) question. Um, Can you tell us the website that uh, that they can look up these resources? Yeah, so going back to that question, um, you can go to the uh, the website name is mhs.net. Okay, excellent. Thank and you. when you're on the website, just go to the search field and type in music therapy, and you will be uh, taken to a list of resources. So you were saying about a concert, Yes. Yes. So we have all these instruments music. here. Stephanie and Tritton have been gracious enough to bring um, their guitars and all these instruments. So we were hoping that sure. maybe I heard you rumor. mentioned Guantanamo. I heard a rumor this day. <laughs> 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 so as music therapists, it is very rare that we do things just by ourselves. So we brought these instruments hoping that you all would engage with us. Please, yes. So <laughs> if there is anything that draws your attention, we would love for you to yeah. grab it and join us. You can you can test it out, see if you like the sound. I like, I like, I like yellow. <laughs> you pull them apart. Yeah, you do pull them apart. Yeah. I thought I broke it. <laughs> <laughs> and this is the first time you guys are playing together, correct? Is that what I'm hearing? Um, sort of. Sort of? Since this morning. Okay, perfect, perfect. <laughs> So I think we're going to do a little Don't Worry, Be Happy. Oh, perfect. Perfect. Classic song. This is a healthy parenting exclusive. (laughs) All right, here we go. 
yeah, feel free to keep the rhythm with us a little bit. There's no wrong sounds, no wrong rhythms. We just want you guys to have a little bit of fun and okay. just engage. Okay. Yeah. Sing along if you know it. Here we go. Here's a little song I wrote. Might want to sing it. No fun, no. Don't worry. Be happy. There you go. And every life we have some trouble. When you worry, we make it double. Don't worry. Be happy. There it is. Ooh, that bass. Nice. You like that? You like that? good i feel uplifted that was really great <laughs> well done that's awesome we should wow. end every day with the music session absolutely <laughs> absolutely that was a healthy parenting exclusive yes indeed <laughs> so any uh 
last words of wisdom that you'd like to share with our audience before we end today's show? I just think, thank you. Yeah, yeah thank you for thing. having no, us. No, thank you, and, and for that you. number. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It was a gift to us, yeah. for sure. Mm -hmm. I mean, we're just so passionate and just so mm -hmm. excited to be doing what we do every day. Yeah, yeah. it shows. Yeah. <laughs> it yes, totally the enthusiasm is intoxicating. Yes. I'm just saying. <laughs> Like, I feel pumped. I'm Come on. For sure. Come on. For sure. That's it. That's it. That's it. That's it. We're ready. There it is. We're ready. Thank you guys so much. It was it was lovely meeting you. The Absolutely. song number is fantastic. Bahati and I will probably cherish this forever. Yes, we will. <laughs> Definitely will. And thank you all for joining us on Healthy Parenting. Please subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. Share it with others and visit the Joe DiMaggio's Facebook fan page.